Wonderful to see you shake off the, the ice as you come on in. And remember this, this morning is proof that it's better in here than it is out there. Can anybody say amen to that? <laughs> now, how can we say amen to that more than we say amen to the Word of God? All right, all right, all right, always picking on us, always jibing us. good to see you this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue with the greatest work on earth, the ministry of the Word of God. There's nothing greater on earth than the ministry, the power, the function, the activity of the Word of God. That we stand on and make our life depend upon. The Word of God. So thank you so much as we begin this morning. Let me say thank you so much for being here, being here on time, uh, braving the warm weather that those in, where is it, Pittsburgh? Where, where are they playing today? Pittsburgh will say, oh, I wish I had that short sleeve weather in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's only about 40 degrees down there. I think they said the game today is going to be played in like a 15-degree weather or something. That's demonic. I mean, let's face it. No, no. It's demonic going to a game, sitting out there watching that. That has to be demonic. I mean, people have to be deranged doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's open our hearts with prayer. Father, thank you so much. Father, what a wondrous, 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 astonishing, great, glorious, majestic God you are. Father, there are not enough adjectives in our vocabulary. And if you gave us Every language that ever has been spoken, all the adjectives together would not begin, not even begin to identify who you are as to your superlative character and nature. And Father, as we continue to study this word, but not only this word, but every time we open this sacred book of books, Father, every time we open it, would you by your spirit dazzle us with who you are? Father, we want to be dazzled, not in the hokey way, but in the superlative spiritual way. Like John, who when he saw the risen, exalted Lord of glory, I fell down as a dead man. Father, this one who knew Jesus so well that he was probably, with Peter, the favorite disciple, one whom Jesus loved, and yet seeing the exalted one himself in the glory of glories, he fell down. Father, cause us to be this way also, to fall down before your word, to fall down in reverence, to fall down in fear, to fall down in wonder to fall down, Father, than to get up in obedience, to get up in purifying, to get up, Father, in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that? So thank you, Father, as we continue this morning with your word, that you will continue your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning as we continue in Hebrews 
just felt the Holy Spirit wanted us to do, wanted me to do a little differently than just continue chapters 12 and 13 and conclude it this morning, which was what our original schedule was. But as everything else, we always have to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully we've heard that leading this morning, and it will be a benefit to you. So we've just went through 11 chapters, 11 chapters of encouragement, 11 chapters of warning. And remember the great issue in Hebrews is this. As a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the entire system of Judaism has been completed. The shadow that it was has been dispelled by the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has completed every aspect of what was pre, uh, uh, prophesied concerning himself in the Old Testament. But their difficulties and their trials were of such that they were forgetting some of this and they were thinking, well, if we go back and embrace Judaism, perhaps we will be left alone and life will be a little easier for us. And the writer is saying, don't do that. Don't leave this high priest because this is God's high priest having put away sin in his own body. And if you leave him and leave the ground of depending upon him and trusting him and obeying him, you go back to sinking sand. That's apostasy. That's the sin that he's talking about. And so you remember last week he concluded that great series of chapters showing the superiority and the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus in his person and in his work by giving us that great hall of faith, those 40 verses in chapter 11, those great men and women of faith. Why were they so great? Because there was a great God working in them by faith, which they received and with which they cooperated and walked. So he's just given them that great chapter. And so in chapter 11, the author has illustrated the basic need of his audience. And he says this, the issue is in your life is that you need the endurance and the perseverance of that kind of faith. You need to have that kind of faith to endure and to persevere. You're going to experience trials. Yes, you are. Everyone will be experiencing them. Every person upon the earth will experience trials. The difference is the unbelievers will experience them toward an increased activity and realization that they are lost. They have no hope in their trials. Believers experience trials as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in a redemptive way, in a way to build hope, to build faith, to cooperate with God as he continues to cause us to be the kinds of men and women that please him. So, trials for everybody, whether you're a believer or not, you're going to get it. How many of you know that? You're going to get it. You're not going to get it because you're in Jesus. You're going to get it because you're in the world. But in Jesus, you will get maybe specific types of trials, but all of them will redound to God's glory as we cooperate with him. So he says you need endurance, you need perseverance. Your faith needs to be better anchored and understood as to its object and as to its purpose. 
So now as we turn to chapter 12, the author is going to tell them what they should do. Therefore, remember how we begin chapter 12? We've seen this word therefore on several occasions. Therefore, what is the word therefore, therefore? It's pointing generally to everything, but most specifically it's pointing to chapter 12. Therefore, since we are what? Surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. What witnesses? Those whom he has listed in chapter 11. Since we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let us also, let us also, as they did, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he says, in view of what you have seen in chapter 11, those people endured, those people persevered. On what basis? On the basis of faith. And because they did it, let us also do the same thing. So let's see what he's saying. Look at the word therefore. Again, therefore, in view of the testimony of the persevering faith of chapter 11, they can do the same thing. They can do the same thing that these other believers did. What was that? They can lay aside every weight and every sin that would hinder their faith, and they can run with endurance the race that is set before him. Did you hear what he said? They can they are able to lay aside every weight, encumbrance, hindrance, and every sinful activity, especially particular sins which so easily trick us and cause us to fall. They can do this, and they can run with endurance the race that is set before him. They can do it. So this morning, what does that say to me about my life? What does it say to you about your life? If, you're an, if you and I are not running the race with endurance, if we're not running effectively, if we're allowing the weight of the world and the issues of life and the personal sinfulness of this body to encumber and to cause stumbling and to slow us down and to divert us, we need to stop it. The Word of God is very simple. Stop it. Don't do it. Lay it aside. You see, there is a mindset in Christ. And if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, you do have the Holy Spirit, you have the ability and the power to say yes and no to every issue of life. Do you believe this? then the reason why we're not running is very basically a reason of decision, that we are deciding to allow other issues to encumber us. Every time I sin, I'm talking about a purposeful sin. I'm not talking about the sins that I'm not even aware of. Every time I sin, it is a purposeful decision to say no to Jesus and yes to sin. Anybody else with me on that? 
And he says this, stop it. Let us lay it aside. Let's stop it and let's run the race. To lay aside means to decide to put it off. How many? Every. How much? Do you see the word every? Do you see that in that verse? Every in verse 1? Everything that encumbers, not just most, but every. Every weight, that encumbrance and that burden that interferes. It's like running a 100-yard dash with boots on. It's difficult. Sin, that disobedience, that failure to exercise faith in God, to run the exertion of one's effort. I might say it's, it's difficult to be a believer. Why? Because there's so much against us, yet there's someone who is greater than all of it for us, and yet our flesh, we have to contend and wrestle against our flesh on a continual basis. This is not a cakewalk. This is a struggle and a fight. But we have everything necessary so that we can run the race and complete the course. That's what he's telling those people. With endurance, steadfastness, constancy, even the greatest trials, in, even in the greatest trials and sufferings. So how can they do this? How can we set aside every weight and every sin, and how can I run with endurance the race that is set before me? How can I do it? I must look to Jesus. See, the difficulty with trials is that we begin to look at the trials. We begin to hear the voice of the circumstance. We begin to look at the surroundings of the activities around us, and as Peter, who was walking on the water toward Jesus, began to see the waves And he realized, I'm on top of the water. What am I doing here? And and he began to sink. But as long as he looked at that man who was on top of the waters, in the midst of the circumstance but ruling over the circumstance, in it but ruling over it, he was able to walk. And the writer of the Hebrew says in the same way, we can walk in the circumstances but reign and rule over them in a way that those circumstances won't work to our detriment but will work to our blessing. How to do it? Look to Jesus. But when you look to Jesus, look to Jesus in two particular areas. Look to him as the author of our faith and look to him as the perfecter of our faith. So let's talk about that this morning, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The author is the one who calls their saving faith into existence and the one who perfects, the one who causes them to persevere in faith. Jesus Christ does both. He doesn't do one and then slips away for the other. He is as powerfully working in saving them as he is in preserving them. His activity and his power doesn't diminish after we're saved in some kind of way we're going to have to keep this thing going a whole lot according to our own efforts. The one who saves us is the one who continues to save us is the one who will secure us to the end. So let's talk about this word author. It's the Greek word meaning chief, the architect. It's that word means the captain, the one who's in charge, the one who takes the lead, the founder. 
The word author shows us that our faith does not originate in us or with us, but it must come from outside of ourselves. You see, this is a primary consideration and understanding because of the faith that we are called to have and in which we are called to endure and persevere is originating in me and is a consequence of what I do and what I say and of my prior decision, then you see, that can fail. That can fail. I don't want faith rooted in me. I want faith rooted in God, planted in me, but rooted in God. And so he is the author of faith. He is the one who is the originator, the one who begins, the one who gives us the faith. Let's look at some of these verses. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. Now, when it says faith comes, what does that mean? To most of us, what does that word mean? It comes. It comes from somewhere. It has to come to me. It isn't resident in me. It comes to me. Romans 12, 3. Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and he's beginning to tell them concerning how to live in view of all these mercies and beginning to talk to them about ministering to one another and the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as a result of being in the body of Christ. And he says... I say to every man among you, whom is he talking to? He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. Every person, every man, every woman among you, church, believers, to everyone among you, God has allotted, has distributed to each among you, you see, a measure of faith. So faith comes from somewhere. The consistent testimony of Scripture is that faith comes from God alone. That God is the originator, the creator of faith. And man is the one who receives that. Listen to this verse in Luke 3, 6. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. In other words, the salvation that belongs to God. The apostles Peter and John tell us that faith comes to us from God. 1 Peter 1.12, through Christ you are believers in God. 1 John 4.7 or 1 John 5.1 says the same thing. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born and knows God. 1 John 5.1 tells us the same thing, that whoever believes in him knows God. In other words, has been born of God already. Now, why am I emphasizing this this morning? Because, you see, if we just say chapter 11 is the theme of faith, the hallmark of faith, the great work of faith, and we go into chapter 12 and we go on all the way through chapter 12 and 13, what might be happening is that the struggle that many are having may not be realized as necess- necessitating faith as much as we think it does. So what I didn't want to do is just go through that and move along. But go back. I felt the Lord leading me to do this. Go back and let's recapture and let's talk about some of the fundamentals of faith. So when we leave here today and go back into that world, we at least will know our faith, 
our ability, our consistency, our power, our hope is not in us intrinsic, intrinsically. It's in Christ who lives in us. We have to have that because we're going to be beaten by the world back and forth and battered. And we want to know as long as that happens, God is still with me in it all. Amen? He is still with me. So all this is is a review today, hopefully for all of us, maybe for most of us, of some of the basic issues concerning our faith. The Apostle Paul tells us that our faith is God's gift to us. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for Christ's sake you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The word granted means to give us a gift. It's from the word charis, which is grace. The word granted means a gift. What has been granted? Look at the verse again. It has been granted to you not only to believe, so belief has been granted and suffering has been granted. Do you see that? Sometimes when you read some of these verses, what's been granted? Suffering has been granted. That's right. But what else? And he says it in a negative way, but it means the positive. What has been granted? What has been granted is not only belief, not only faith. You see, because he is telling them, I know already that you're aware that faith has been granted. So it's not only faith, it's also suffering. So he's accentuating, accentuating suffering. He's not diminishing faith because he's already been talking about faith has been granted. They already know this. So what has been granted to them? Faith and suffering. If you have faith this morning, why do you have faith in Christ? Because you have been the object of God's mercy in whom he has planted faith to believe. That's what the Bible is telling us. Listen to this verse in 2 Timothy 2.25. God may, he's talking about some issues of obedience. God may perhaps grant them repentance. We can't even repent without it being a gift of God. The only way I can truly repent of my sin is for God's Spirit to work the gift of the activity, the grace of repentance in me. See, a person can't decide to repent and receive Jesus. You can't decide to do that. Repentance is God's gift. You can cooperate with God in doing it. But I can't wake up one morning and say, you know, today I'm going to trust Jesus. I can't do that apart from God granting me the repentance and the faith. And so what I'm doing, I am not deciding. I am not initiating the decision, at least let me say it that way. I am cooperating with a prior decision. So it's not my decision intrinsically. It is my decision within the context of God's leading to grant me repentance. So no one can unilaterally decide to repent or to express faith. We can't do that. So what we need to be very careful of is trying to, to talk people into being believers. Ours is to preach the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to use that word to convict the heart, to change the heart, and to grant repentance into that heart. 
so that person will repent of sin and express faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, for by, and all of us have heard this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, the gift of God. The word it is is not in the Greek. It's just understood, the gift of God. So grammatically, now let's look at that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this. What is the word this? It's a word which, which refers back to something. The word this, without going in all the grammar, and, and very really, if you want to know the grammar and how it's constructed, Evan May really is the man you need to talk to. I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. He really is. They are very specific grammatical reasons why the word this doesn't refer singularly just to grace or to salvation or to word faith. It refers to the whole thing, the whole clause. This work of God, grace, salvation, faith, We're not talking about three different things. We're talking about a continuum or a collection, if you would, or a totality of God's work. This is the gift of God. The gift of God is God's grace. The gift of God is salvation. The gift of God is faith to receive the salvation. This is what God has done. He has given us the ability, the desire and the ability to say yes to his offer of eternal life, his conviction of sin, and our desire to say yes to that is our faith to embrace what God is already working in my heart. So yes, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord must be saved. I must respond in faith. But that response of faith is a result of God's initiating of that work in my heart to which I want to now. Previously, I didn't care. I didn't care. Who cares? Then one day, I hear a man preaching. I hear a man named Billy Graham preaching. And I'm in Mandeville, Louisiana, at a house that the family has rented for the summer. And I hear this man, Billy Graham, preaching. Begins to talk about being born again. Something began to happen on the inside of me that I had never experienced before. I mean, something began to grab me on the inside of me. He began to talk about the law. He began to talk about sin. He began to talk about the wrath of God and condemnation. I wasn't put off. I was drawn in. There was something going on on the inside, and sometime later, God brought it to fruition. I wanted it. I wanted it. God brought it to fruition at the right time. You see, the Scriptures insist that the entire work of our salvation from beginning to end is God's gift to us in Christ. Now, that means this, that Jesus certainly is the author of our salvation. But what about after we're saved? What happens then? I understand God forgives me of all my sin, and I come to Jesus And he declares me not guilty. You notice I didn't say innocent. Ain't nobody innocent except Jesus. In heaven we'll be the not guilty people of God. Never innocent. All right, I've been forgiven. What about those sins? What about that difficulty? What about my failure, my weakness after I'm saved? That's what I'm worried about now. Okay, I'm saved. Thank you, Jesus. The power has saved me. What about now? Well, this is where the Hebrews were. What about today, James? 
I understand I've been saved by the power of God, but that gift of God given to me by that faith gift given to me. But what about continuing? We see the author said he's not only the author, but he's what? The perfecter, the finisher, the completer, the one who guarantees in his death and resurrection not only that you and I will have life, but that life that he has given us will continue forever and ever. So Jesus is the perfecter, looking off to Jesus, the author of our faith, looking off to Jesus who is the perfecter, completer of our faith. Are we doing that? See, that's where we would be in this room. I would expect that most, perhaps all, are saved in this room. So where we would be basically is looking to Jesus, obviously thanking him for being the author of our salvation, but now trusting that he who is the author is also the same he who is the perfecter. The one who has loved us to die to save us is the same one who loves us who will continue to keep us saved until the end. So Jesus is not only committed to their salvation and our salvation by faith, but is equally, not less so, but equally as committed to our preservation by faith. Do we understand that today? Because I think this is where we find weakness in ourselves. We know we're saved, but we're not sure. Because yesterday I said those things to that person, and and what is God going to think of me? He's not going to think any differently of you today, yesterday, or any day that he's always thought of you. There's nothing different about you today, yesterday, as far as intrinsic sin and fleshly and fault and failure. Nothing different as far as that's concerned. The love of God has not increased or diminished in me, neither in you, because we have the fullness of his love. And we'll always have the fullness of his love. You see, what I do does not affect the power and the fullness and the activity and the presence of God's love in me. It affects my walk with him and how I'm receiving and what he has to do in my life in order to bring correction and endurance. But God is fully loving me and you in Christ when he saved us as today as he's preserving us. He didn't love you any more when he saved you as he does today as you're kicking and screaming because he wants you to do something that you don't want to do. He loves us the same. The love of God does not diminish, it does not increase. It's not a wind. It's not whimsical. It is the very same steady love of God. John 17, 26, Father, that they may love you with the love that you have for me. So therefore, the love that God has within himself, for himself, among the members of the Trinity, that very same love is now in us. In us. Can we get it? Don't let the devil beat you down with your weakness and your sin and failure. Don't let him do that. But let the love of God cause you to see, I am weak, 
thank you, Jesus, I am weak. Because you see, if we weren't, we wouldn't have needed him. But we are. I'm weak. And God isn't put off by my weakness. He is not overcome by my weakness. In fact, we're harder on ourselves than God is ever on us. He loves us, and he will preserve us. What is Jesus' commitment? Listen to these words from John 6. All, may I repeat that word? Someone in your, is that listed, is that verse listed in your Bible? I mean, in your notes? John 6, 37. When you go home and you open your Bible, you need to underline or circle some of these words. I love the word all when it comes to God's comprehensive salvation of his people. Jared, how many? All. I love that word. That ought to be circled. All. Who would I like to yell that out? It just does something in me. How many? All. All that the Father gives me. How many of us, how many of you have been given to Jesus by the Father? How many, if you've been given to Jesus by the Father, raise your hand. All of us. All of us. I just can't let it stay in without yelling it out. Certain words got to be bellowed. All that the Father gives me. How many of us are in the all? All of us. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Why do you think you're saved? Because God gave us to Jesus before the foundation of the world according to his foreknowledge. That's why we have faith because God has done that work in us by Christ. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will what? I can't hear you. Never. Do you hear these words? All. Never. Who is speaking here? The Son of God himself. God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and the one who will recreate everything in the new heaven and earth, is speaking, and he says, all of my people, never, never to be cast out. For I come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing or no one. I should lose what? Nothing. All, never, nothing. Look at these absolute words that Jesus is saying. He is not giving us any ability to fear about falling out. I will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will, the word I will is understood, I will raise it up on the last day. Perseverance. The Hebrews needed that word. We're going to make it through. Come hella high water, we don't care which, we will make it through. Why? Because the faith that God has given me to say yes to his saving work is the same faith that he keeps in me to preserve me, to continue to say yes to his saving, ongoing, sanctifying, and securing work. Faith. Power of God. 
works in me to embrace him as he has already embraced me and to remain in that embracement until that day when we stand before him in the fullness of the glory. For this is the will of my Father that everyone, how many? Everyone, all, everyone. Look at these words, everyone. I mean, your Bible, you take a red ink pen and underline and circle some of these words. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. You think it's going to happen? Is there any thought at all in your mind that any particular issue of sin is stronger than the mighty hand of God Almighty around your heart? If so, what issue? And if so, how many of those issues? Getting drunk. Hmm. Now, I, for one, think no man and woman in Christ should ever touch alcohol. I'll let you know that right away where I stand on that so you don't misunderstand where I'm going with this. I think alcohol totally is a <laughs> for the people of God. But if you drink, you may not agree with me. Many people have been wrong. But, okay, so you, <laughs> you may not see it that way. That's just that's what I believe. But you get drunk. Will that get you out of heaven? Maybe if you get drunk twice. I had a friend of mine, we were in Russia, and he was asking me, he said, Peter, he said, do you believe that if you get drunk and while you're drunk you stumble out of the bar room and you get hit by a semi, <laughs> or you're going to heaven or hell? I think you're saved. He said, no, no, no. No, because you didn't repent of that. You're not. No, no, no. You see, this is different than apostasy, and we are not inferring or teaching that it doesn't matter how you live. If you think that, you need to listen to other tapes. Don't make a snapshot of what I just said. What we're talking about is the persevering work of God. I didn't merit it to come in, and I can't merit it to stay in. What does that do? That relieves me of the, the worry of failure. And let me relieve you of the worry of failure. You will fail many, many times. So if you want to be relieved of the worry of failure, would you write that down in your notes? I will fail many, many times. But God will never fail. Be disabused of the fear of failure. I'm not worried about failure. What worries me or bothers me or concerns me is what I do after the failure. Will I get up and will I go back and stand before God and allow him to deal with that failure by his grace? So be disabused of failure. You're going to fail. I meet with so many people, and I think sometimes they're afraid to tell me that they've sinned or failed. I have most of them beat. 
I met with someone the other day who had a problem. I said, I have 30 more years of failure on my side of the ledger than you do. 30 more years than you do. You saw the face. It's like, huh. You see, this is why we were saved. So God's glory could work in the midst of our failure. Romans 5.20. You just have to go home and read that. That's a free one. God's power. Jesus' power. How do I know I'm going to be persevere? How do I know I'm going to persevere? Jesus' power is going to keep me going. 2 Timothy 1.11. We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every good work of faith by his power. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Then you had the power of God in you. Philippians 1 6, I am confident of very sure of this very one thing that He, the author, who has begun a good work in you, salvation, will do what? Bring it to completion, will finish it, the founder, the author, the perfecter, until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, we have to know this and we have to believe this, not in a presumptuous and flippant way, but in a stability way and an encouraging way and an enduring way. We're going to make it through. I plan to be in heaven. Someone asked me the other day, do you plan, do you think you can uh, fall out of uh, grace and be lost? I said, I don't know, you do it, find out, and email us, but I'm going to heaven. You know what I mean? I'm going to heaven. I am going to heaven. Are you? Why? Because the one who began the work will bring it to completion. His power and love in me, not mine, his. I'm going to be there. Now, if you have problems with that, reserve a seat on the other side because I'm going to be there yelling and screaming like I've never been able to yell and scream here. Get earmuffs. I'm going, and it's going to be an exciting time, and it won't be quiet and whispering. This is going to be a roar of praise unto our God. God's Spirit. Listen to Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And remember, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, we have the Spirit of God. See, we need endurance. We need endurance just like they did. And perhaps, and hopefully, none of us are being tempted to apostatize, but we are certainly being tempted to compromise. And because of the work of God in me, I no longer have to compromise. Do you? Then let's not do it. Jesus' purpose. What is his purpose in all of this? 15.8 of John. For in this is my Father glorified, shown to be magnificent and wonderful, that you bear much fruit, the fruit of faith, fruit of the Spirit. And so what? Demonstrate, approve to be my disciples. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God 
prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When beforehand? Before the, even before the creation of the world. God had your name. He had your works. Everything. Everything. So what is the confidence of our faith? Can we have confidence? 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory. That's another word that calls to be yelled out. This is the victory that overcomes the world. What? Even our faith. Now, the word our, it is my faith. It's my faith because it's been given to me by Christ. It's not mine by merit, nor it's not mine by birth naturally. It's not mine because of something in and about me intrinsically. It's mine because of a gift of God, and he gives it to me, and God is not an Indian giver. That which he gives, he will not take back. So, Therefore, because of all this, what? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, let us also, like they did, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily disturbs us and messes us up and stumbles us. And let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking off to Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. Have you endured the cross yet? He endured the cross, despising the shame. And right now, where is he? He's sitting down at the right hand of God. He's sitting down. How can we make it? Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The one who begins it, the one who continues it, and the one who finishes it. As he has drawn us into himself and has given us the ability and the desire to say yes to that. And now his faith, that faith that he gives to us, is now totally infusing us and is now the very atmosphere of our spiritual life in him. So we can and we will make it to the end. But let us make it to the end as great and victorious in Christ. Not just make it to the end, but let us make it to the end as those who are finishing the line, you know, seeing those runners waving and screaming and yelling as those who are running hard after him. Amen. Next Sunday, as you may have already heard, the men will be away at the retreat, and hopefully every man here will be at the retreat. We hope you can go. And so what we'll do, ladies, at this particular time next Sunday is gather for prayer, especially for the retreat at this time next week. We won't have a teaching in Hebrews. We'll continue and finish Hebrews the week after next on the first weekend of February. Thank you, Lonnie.